Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. We are now going to be affiliated with the inaugural launch of the Hockey Writers Podcast page over at thehockeywriters.com. We're talking with J.D. Styles from Cali Sports News reporting live from the Stanley Cup Finals. And today we're being joined by the first general manager in Las Vegas franchise history, George McPhee. With Pat Quinn... You know, I'm likely the finest man I've ever met in my life. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Clint Larchek. There's something about George McPhee that everybody says is a good pick. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We're talking with Dana Lane, play-by-play voice of the UNLV Rebel Hockey Team and owner of Dana Lane Sports. Joining us now is Matt Pryor of thehockeywriters.com. He's coming to us from the Dallas Stars training camp. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. I'm Mark Warner, along with Chris Lisa, columnist for Last Word on Sports and Eyes on Isles, fan-sided Islanders page. Chris, good day to you, sir. We've got a big show lined up. What's on tap tonight? Uh, we're going to lead it off with uh, our, our good friend of the show, Matt Pryor, whose uh, last name there in the intro. And then we got, of course, Dana Lane on to get UNLV update, as well as... Uh, what people in, on the ground in Vegas think of the new name and new logo. And then we have a brand new guest, Sarah Kelling from Last Word on Sports. Get, wrote a great article uh, within the last couple of weeks about what's going on in Carolina and the future of hockey in Carolina, and maybe it moves north of the border. But uh, let's, why don't we bring in our uh, our first guest, and uh, usually breaking the ice is just between me and you. But uh, this week, we have uh, Mr. Matt Perry in, and we're going to talk about these Gerard Gallant firing. Matt Pryor, good evening to you, sir. Joining us from Texas, I assume. Yes, sir. Good evening. Thanks for having me on, guys. As always, it was it was good to meet you here out in Las Vegas there for Frozen Fury. You and the missus, we had a good time. Yes, we did. I look forward. In fact, we both look forward to coming back out next season for a Las Vegas Golden Knights game. I'm looking forward to that as well. Um, everything everything goes right. We'll, uh, my, my tickets are one section off center ice towards the home shoots twice, fifth row in the upper bowl. So as, as you saw, those are going to be just fine seats to have. Oh, I'd, I'd say they're more than fine. Uh, in fact, my, my wife has been going on about those upper bowl seats they're at T-Mobile. Uh, the the sight lines are incredible. Uh, she just can't say enough good about that arena. It is it is quite possibly the most fan friendly arena we've been to. And and you guys have been to quite a bit uh, around the league for sure. So we we appreciate your opinion. It seems to be the uh, the general consensus there that T-Mobile was 
custom built for hockey and and they they did a fantastic job there but let's uh let's move on we haven't had a show since mr gallant was was unceremoniously let go there kind of reminiscent of uh usc trojans football team a little while ago where they just dumped their coach at the airport and said well you can uh, you can make it home at your best at your convenience because you're no longer needed here with the Trojans. Kind of a similar situation, wasn't it? Uh, you know, I honestly, I don't follow college football a whole lot, but it on the surface, it does sound similar. Yeah. Um, there was, well, it was, it was two things really that, that led to Galan's firing. One was the team's performance through the first 21 games of the season. They, they were 11, 10 and one when Gallant got the axe and, and for a team that that uh, finished with a franchise record 103 points last year, that, that was a big step down and um, nobody expected that, nobody wanted to see that. Um, I, I think though the bigger factor was the philosophical differences between Gallant and management. Well, um, let, let's go. Let's go back a little bit because uh, one of the three of us kind of expected that when we were doing our preview show. I said that the turnover on defense was going to take a little bit of time for that to gel into a cohesive unit and translate into an on ice, uh, you know, five man unit when you go over that kind of a change on defense. And it seems to me that uh, you know, some some I think, and I'm going to ask you for your take on this, but when you, when you have a, a season where you get to the f- playoffs for the first time in, in 20 years or whatever it was, and then you go to uh, seven, seven brutal games with Chris's Islanders there. And it was, you know, could have went either way for, for such a young squad. Um, you had to look at that as a very positive stepping stone f- for the Florida Panthers franchise. And then after that you get, uh, Oh, let's fire the general manager. And and bring in Mr. Rowe, and you have a Jack Adams finalist who starts the season off with a little inconsistency. Uh, uh, Win a couple, lose a couple, up and down. Still over 500. Still well within a playoff chase. Still trying to get a, a cohesive defensive unit. Uh, you know, work out the chemistry and everything else. And then you dump that Jack Adams coach coming off, like you said, franchise franchise record in points, wins, and uh, the playoff appearance for such a young squad. Is there more to the firing, you think, than on-ice performance? Uh, definitely. Uh, the the difference of opinion between Gallant and Panthers management, and, and when I say Panthers management, I include ownership. They, they're the ones who have driven all the change. Uh, and they're, they're analytics guys, uh, Vinny Viola and Doug Sifu, they're, they're all about analytics. They're, they're firm believers. And, uh, the changes made over the summer, the, the overhaul of the defense, uh, all of that, uh, was analytics driven. They, they wanted the team to play faster, to play a more up-tempo puck possession game. And Gerard Gallant wanted, rather than more speed, he wanted more size. He wanted bigger players. And uh, it, it, was, it was going to come to this end eventually because it, it's, 
I I can't help but think of uh, you know you mentioned USC and and that situation. I think maybe uh, a greater similarity can be found with the movie Moneyball. Uh, you know, okay. if, if you recall when when Billy Bean is trying to convince Art Howe to play these players, you know, put Hatterberg at first base, and and Art Howe is saying he's not a first baseman, and and Billy Bean says you've got to play these players in these positions. That's that's what this team is designed for, and and in the end, what Billy Bean had to do was to make a few trades, trade away some of Art Howe's guys, send others to the minors. Well, the Panthers didn't have that option with Gallant, and the Panthers management wanted him to play a speed game and just just to put that in perspective to give you some good hard numbers uh the other night i was watching the columbus blue jackets game and in the middle of the game there was a a brief interview with uh, brad larson the blue jackets assistant coach and he said that they try to limit shifts to 35 seconds in order to play the up-tempo style uh, that John Tortorella wants to play in Columbus, 35 seconds. Well, I looked, and at the time Gallant was fired, seven Panthers forwards had average shifts of 48 seconds and up. And uh, overall, I think it was uh, nine of the top 34 longest average shift lengths in the NHL belonged to Florida Panthers. And so you can either have long shifts or you can play fast, but you can't do both. And so Gallant was playing the team his way, not the way it was designed to be played. And and I think in the end, that's that's what it came down to, and that's why he got the axe. Let me bring in Chris. I want to I want to follow up on that a little bit later in the show, but. Uh... Chris is the silent majority over there. Chris, what do you got for Matt tonight? Hey, Matt. Uh, you know, it seems to me, and maybe this is not just a Florida uh, Panther question. We saw this in Arizona, too, in terms of the general manager, Tom Maloney, and Alex again. But it seems to be out there that there are two camps, right? There's this new wave analytics thinking, and then there's the old-time hockey guys, you know, uh, way of thinking. But at the mm-hmm. end of the day, why are these things being treated? I mean, you made a great example just there with the ship, how long the ship should be. But uh, as a whole, why are these things being treated like they're mutually exclusive? I mean, is it, wouldn't there be a lot of commonality between the two group, two camps in terms of winning hockey? Well, you know, certainly everyone wants to win. That's that's why they're in the game. Uh, but I I think you have. Uh, it's it's uh, really a philosophical change that is spreading across the league, and I'm I'm not saying that that five years from now every decision every coach makes is going to be analytics driven. You still you've got to have the eye test. You've got to go with your gut at times. Um, there's always going to be a place for that, but. I think you you do see certain individuals, and I get the sense that Gerard Gallant was one of them, who just dig in their heels. And, I mean, just just uh, as an example, uh, back, oh, first week, 
second week in November, I was out in Florida um, at a couple of the Panthers games, including their 3-2 overtime win over the Islanders, I should add. Yeah, and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, I love it. And Literally. I, <laughs> I, I asked Coach Gallant, uh, I, I said, you know, some coaches look at shot attempts at, at Corsi as, as a measure of team and individual performance, and others, like John Tortorella in Columbus, say it's not about shot attempts, it's about scoring chances. That's the most important number to look at. And I, I said, where do you stand on the issue? And his response was, no comment. And uh, then Harvey, okay. Harvey Fialkov, yeah, Harvey Fialkov, who's the beat writer for the uh, Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel, he, he kind of chuckles and he leans over and he, he kind of whispers in my ear, Ooh, that's a sensitive subject. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't fully appreciate just how sensitive the subject was until Gallant was fired. But that's, he's, he's just not a fan of analytics. Uh, he he might not come out and say it outside uh, the the room, uh, but but he's not a fan of analytics. And I I think there are a few guys, perhaps Maloney, Don Maloney, out in Arizona was the same way. I don't I don't know, but uh, you've I think to be a coach in the NHL today, you've got to have a certain amount of flexibility. You've got to have an open mind in some cases. And and perhaps uh, Gallant was his mind was not open enough. I got one more but for you, man. In terms of uh, in terms of the Panthers proving to be an Eastern uh, contender, uh, besides the the length of the ships, is the biggest issues uh, in terms of uh, their own zone and on D. Uh, defense is is definitely an issue. Uh, Aaron Ekblad has been struggling uh, this season. Uh, I, I think with with Ekblad, the problem is his rookie year, he he skated with Willie Mitchell most of the time. Last year, he was with Brian Campbell, and this year he's gone from uh, being the younger guy skating with a veteran slash mentor. To, to being placed in the veteran-slash-mentor role. And he's only 20 years old. Pe- people look at his beard and don't realize that he's only 20. But I, I think um, it's quite possible that Florida will make a trade and bring in a veteran defenseman, uh, maybe maybe someone who's a pending UFA uh, next summer, uh, just to give Ekblad another year with that kind of stability. Uh, and also, Tom Rowe said that they're making some changes to, to more of a zone-type defense. Uh, they're changing up the scheme a bit. And so far, so good. They, they've allowed, what, two goals in two games? Uh, well, maybe so. also, too, he's trying, he's trying to live up to the, the big extension he signed as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's quite possibly a factor, too. Uh, and, you know, going into this season, they – they didn't want to put too much pressure on Ekblad. They they said that's why we didn't give him the C. Uh, they made him an alternate captain instead. Uh, that he will be the team captain in a few years, but uh, they recognize that he's not ready for 
the burden of leadership to that extent yet. Now, when we were we were talking with George McPhee and, and we asked him pretty much kind of the same questions along the lines of where where we're headed here. And um, we we asked uh, where he stood on analytics and and I test and and his position on that as a general manager. And and it kind of is what Chris was saying was that he views it as another club in the bag. And it's a, it's a tool that you can use, but you have to include um, all, all of the other factors that it takes when evaluating talent and trying to put a, a roster together. It starts with um, philosophy, which you say is probably one of the big differences between Gallant and Mr. Rowe and management and ownership there in Florida. And and it, it seems like that that was the, the misconnect there is that, that they wanted to go with, like, as Chris was saying, along the Arizona Coyotes and build the team, not maybe from a strictly analytics standpoint, but definitely using that as a major, a major uh, barometer when, when looking at and assessing player personnel moves. Um, how long is Mr. Rose tenure on the bench? Uh, are they actively searching for a coach or is he going to carry the dual mantle of general manager head coach for the rest of the season? Uh, for the rest of the season, he his official title is interim coach and GM, but he's he made it clear that he is relinquishing most of the GM duties that his two assistant GMs uh, and Dale Talon, those those three guys are going to handle the GM duties, and he's going to focus on coaching. Um, they at the press conference. Uh, they indicated that they are not um, looking for a coach in season. They'll they'll see how this season goes with Rowe at the helm, and then they'll make a decision next summer on on whether okay. or not to bring in someone else. So that's that's where they're at on that. And what's your what's your? I, I see Dana is on hold there. And I got one more question for you. What's your prognosis for the rest of the season is Rose philosophy and management style going to fit, or they got some work to do with the on ice personnel in order to play that up tempo game. Uh, you know, I, I have a feeling it's going to work out well for them. Uh, I think uh, sometimes, uh, I mean, now Gerard Gallant, the, the players loved him. He, he's a player's coach. The guys loved him. They were not happy at all that he got fired, and and they, in many ways, they blamed themselves for it. But I, I think it was kind of a wake up call for them. And since the firing in the in the two games they played so far, they've looked good. And uh, I I think they are going to get it together. They're they're going to uh, obviously Roe is going to play the team the way it was built, and. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. It's it's really a grand experiment Florida's got going on here. They've they've got I think uh, six or seven forwards uh, under six feet tall, uh, and four of them are under five eleven, and the the average NHLer is six one. So they they probably have the smallest forward core in the league, and uh, but they're going to be fast. And uh, they're, I think they're going to be fun to watch, and, and it's, 
it's just going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. All right, Matt. Well, we're going to let you go on that note, sir. I appreciate you coming in and taking the time to break down that Florida Panthers move for us. Um, I'm a I'm a move along, sir. But we'll definitely have you back on later in the show uh, or uh, season, of course, as we always do. And and maybe next time we'll get a look at your Dallas Stars and how things are shaping up down there. All right, sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Okay, Matt. And now we're going to jump live with Dana Lane from Dana Lane Sports, also the UNLV play-by-play voice. And it's been a while since we've spoke, Dana. Well, that's my fault, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Totally totally whipped on the scheduled time, let's be honest about it. So that was my fault. But uh, I've set uh, not only one alarm, we set two alarms this week. All right. Well, well played, sir. Well played. So the last time we talked to you was before the uh, the Beehive Classic up there in Utah, where we were talked about they had a, a four game in four day stretch. And if I looked at it right, they outscored their competition 36 to five, beat the number two overall in the rankings in northern Colorado with a 10 one whooping. And uh, I believe they're now sitting at 16 and three with one more one more win over northern Arizona coming tonight. Correct. Uh, they are right now at 17 and three, and the reason why they're 17 and three is because the ACHA website that promotes or puts up this information is sometimes not as accurate as it needs to be. And uh, there's one game that's not counted in there, uh, just because we don't have a box score. So uh, UNLV 17 and three right now, and of course Northern Arizona. Uh, is right there with them. And if they would update their polls uh, within the last three weeks, we could have probably built this weekend as one versus two in the West because this is clearly the two best teams uh, in the West. And, and that was evident last night in game one. Which was a Rebel win. Which was a Rebel win. Yeah, it was up and down hockey, which we expected. I mean, like this Northern Arizona team averaged in the last 14 games, excluding the UNLV game, averaged over 50 or almost 50 shots a game. Now you could say, well, you know, two of those was against uh, a a California team that was a lesser competition, granted. Uh, But even if you take those out, they're still in the 40s. And uh, it was up and down hockey. It was about it was about grit last night. And I think for the first time, I saw UNLV's mirror image um, in uh, in Northern Arizona. So now this will be the third game in three nights for Northern Arizona. So let's see how they react. Certainly, you would expect a good effort out of the first period, uh, but they were heavily forechecking last night. So let's see if that plays into their fatigue tonight. And tonight's game is a 8:35 start at the Las Vegas Ice Arena. Is that right? That is correct. Yes, sir. So I know I know you're going to be getting ready to head out there. Um, if if anybody here in town's listening to us, um, head on out to the Las Vegas Ice Center, support your young running Rebels. Um, if you got a question for Dana, you can go ahead and call in. Talking uh, UNLV or talking Golden Knights. The calling number is six five seven three eight three zero eight six four. This is the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Mark Warner along with Chris Lisa. Now, going forward, we have another announcement here with UNLV Hockey. The ACHA has accredited them to Division One status beginning play next season. What went into that? And I know Zcon's been working towards that goal as general manager of UNLV Hockey since he came to us from Arizona State. Uh, what went into that? And, and what were some of the deciding factors that that pushed us over the top two Division One? 
Well, the deciding factor is that they're ready to do it. I mean, they are clearly, um, well, we'll have to see what happens tonight, but they're clearly one of the best teams in the ACHA. And, and when I tell you that they have a chance to win a national championship, that is a very real statement. This team has agreed. He can, this, this team can play on three levels. I mean, this team can uh, beat you with finesse. They could just uh, beat you physically, and then they can also get nasty. And we saw kind of the third last night, uh, but certainly not to uh, not to the point where they can get. The only thing that uh, I think in some nights what's going to beat UNLV is UNLV with their penalties. Yep, yep. I, I agree with, all, with that. Into, as far as going into – now, look, the, the ultimate goal here is to get the Division One NCAA. That's going to cost $15 million. That's going to cost $10 million for the for the hockey team. That's going to cost another $5 million to fund a women's lacrosse team to um, to uh, satisfy Title IX. So um, the fact is that uh, they don't have $15 million, but the next step has to be Division One ACHA no, no matter what anyway. You have to gradually build up to that. And that's exactly right. what they're doing. Uh, they're going to step up in competition next year for sure. Uh, we may, may not be at 17-3 and three at this point in the season, but uh, that is the next step to get to the big level. Well, like, like you said, after last season, they lost, I think I think he said, like almost 60% of their scoring and brought in a whole bunch of young new faces. So it'll be good to see the young guys, sophomores, sophomores and juniors, get to take that next step next season. Are they going to be maintaining um, – the the dual home ice situation that they're going with Sobe Ice Arena and Las Vegas Ice Center going into next season. I would think, as far as we know right now, that that will probably uh, be the way it is. But uh, they certainly have not uh, solidified anything as far as that's concerned. I think that's something that they do in the off season, and of course next year they are hoping to use the uh, new uh, Golden Knights practice facility as their main practice area so uh that may factor in i'm not exactly sure um, I, I can't foresee playing any games there i don't know if it will seat enough but um you know that's going to be very interesting and i foresee there might be a little bit of a tug and war for a uh, tug of war perhaps between the two ice centers but what it is going to do uh it is going to cultivate more interest in hockey and hopefully uh, all the facilities here in town will be will be full because of that Absolutely, and that's a great segue as we go, as we move into the Golden Knights <clears throat> portion of the program, sir. I know you were out there. I was driving in circles around T-Mobile that night, and I had uh, I, I, I I just got off work at like five forty-five from the Cosmo, and I was I was hurrying to get over there, and the just the traffic going into the place was was awful uh, coming from the Strip, which is the only way I could get there from the Cosmo. Um, and then I, I drove, you know, the little road, the arena way between Monte Carlo and T-Mobile. And I sat it, moving slowly at the snail's pace through there. And by the time I got around back to get back into the parking garage, the whole announcement had already taken place. So I went home and, and did, did some homework. Um, but I know, I know you were down there, uh, set the scene a little bit, uh, of what went down, leaving, well, leaving out the, uh. Leave out the whole video montage uh, fiasco because that's well covered, well covered, well spoken yeah, of. But sure. just the, just the atmosphere, the locals, and everything down there in in Toshiba Plaza. No, that was 
that was a phenomenal night. I mean, you know, like you said, I mean, we, we focus on the positives, and there were so many more positives than any one tiny negative. Um, you know, from ground level, it was a little, it was overwhelming, so much so, so that we didn't even bother to go, you know, where the media went because it was just such a, a mess to go there. So uh, we decided to go up uh, on a couple floors of the parking garage and look down on it, and it was just an incredible sight. And, and like Bill Foley said, there was, you know, 5,000 people there. There was probably 2,000 more that couldn't get in. And it was really good to hear Gary Bettman say, I've never seen anything like this for a naming, uh, a name amount announcement. And, and we, we talked to Gary earlier in the day and I, I tried to get him to say, yeah, Las Vegas really did a lot better than I thought that they would, but he wouldn't bite on that. But you could tell he was very proud and very satisfied of where this franchise is headed and, and who's the, uh, who's the owner of the franchise. Hey Dan, it's Chris. So, what Chris. is the feeling uh, in the community in terms of, you know, the name, the Golden Knights, and and what does everyone think of the logo? Well, I, I, I can tell you everybody loves the logo. I absolutely love the logo. The more I, you know, the more things that I get with the logo on it, the, the more I like it. I think it's going to be amazing. I think, or it is amazing. I think the jerseys are going to be um, off the charts. Um, you know, I mean, you, you're not going to satisfy everybody. Everybody either didn't like the fact that they kept lost off of Vegas or it was the Golden Knights. And, you know, the big uh, the big comeback was this was the Silver State, in which we quickly said, well, it produces more gold than anywhere in the country. So it kind of does make sense. Um, you know, in six months, nobody is going to even care. I mean, I've already shortened it down to the Knights anyway when I talk. So that's that's what we've done. You know, if I had anything negative, I mean, I just kind of wish it was Las Vegas. But, man, the guy brought a professional sports to this town when nobody else could do that. So if he wants to name it, you know, whatever, whatever it is he wants to put on it, it's fine with me. Just handle yourself properly on and off the ice and give 100% every night, win some games, and the name is, is really something that's not an issue. Well, I said before, and, and I'll say it again, he could name it the Purple People Eaters if he wants for what he did for the community and the, uh, and, and the you know, NHL. So I, I would buy myself Purple People Eaters gear if that's what it came down to because I, uh, obviously everyone knows I'm going to be supporting the franchise. And, you know, the Mighty Ducks shorten their name down to the Ducks and, and everyone calls the Blue Jackets the Jackets and everyone calls the Maple Leafs the Leafs and so on and so forth down the line. Um, I, it's It was always going to be the Vegas Knights when it was spoken of in casual conversation, no matter if it was Silver Knights, Black Knights, purple knights uh whatever it was it, you know it was always going to be hey you going to the knights hey did you see what the knights did last night and and i don't see that changing any i mean the 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 gold producing stat for nevada is is nice and there's a tie-in to the army parachute team that's not has the moniker of the golden knights and he got his he got his army tie-in that he wanted and i'm happy with that so for for now let me let me go back 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 um, we had talked to you before, and, and you had seen uh, the logo and would not give us any information. Unlike uh, I did see you tweet out that anybody, any media outlets that were leaking that logo, you know, in the hour or so prior to the unveiling, shame on them. Um, and you were not one of those, so I give you full marks for, for as tight-lipped as you were, even in private, you would not discuss that with us. But w was the final unveiling of the logo the same logo that you saw? 
Yes, sir. Yeah, it, it was okay. the same logo that we saw. I, I had kind of wondered a little bit about that as well the more I thought about it because if you go in to the um, – if you go into the Lucky Store, there is no hats in there with the logo on the front. And that hat that was on social media seemed to be uh, the only one I've ever seen with the logo on the front besides the one that Bill Foley wore right next to us when we interviewed him a couple of weeks before. Um, right. I had wondered if that was kind of a on-purpose leak. You know, but the the fact of the matter is, if it wasn't, this was Bill Foley's day. This wasn't the media's day. This isn't, you know, anybody else's but Bill. So if he wanted to keep it quiet until the announcement, then everybody should have um, honored that. And, and, you know, if that wasn't the case, then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset by, the, you know, somebody who had decided an hour before to take that moment away from Bill. But really, it didn't have any effects. But, you know, that's just kind of the way I felt personally. Well, full full disclosure, I was DMing with a bunch of people, uh, and I did say I was coming from work, so if my boss is listening, no, I was on break, but uh, I was DMing with a bunch of people, and uh, that that hat picture did appear on my Twitter feed for like a minute as I tweeted it as I was sending it to somebody. You know, they're asking me, hey, what's the logo? Do you know what it is yet? And I just snap, snap screened it send it over to him i said this is going around but i don't know if it's real or not and as soon as i saw it on my timeline i mean it was probably there for a minute two minutes most and i pulled it right back down so if uh if, if that offended anybody or anything i do apologize that was not an intentional an intentional tweet on my part that was me being uh social media inept <laughs> So as well, as, I didn't as know we you go, did that, so I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> no, 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 for sure I deserve it. I deserve it. I need to be more responsible with uh, what my thumbs are doing at the same time. I'm supposed to be maybe <laughs> doing something else. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I'm an electrician, so you want to keep your mind on your work as as much as possible. But I was looking forward to getting out of there and getting over to T-Mobile, and uh, had you know, 50 people tweeting at me and emailing me, and I doing too much too fast and i did let it get away from me so i apologize to anyone who that well, did offend it was purely unintentional on the flip side of that as well i mean if you were not close to the situation or if you didn't know that you know that was the thing i mean of course 99 out of 100 people are not going to sit there and say well should i do this and is this right it's just from my advantage and having a small tiny relationship with Bill and getting to like Bill a lot as a person, not necessarily as an owner, I really wanted him to have this moment for himself because I know, you know, I mean, what we went through 348 phases to get to this point and right. I didn't want to ruin it at the last hour. So that's kind of where I was coming from. Ah, you, you, you were absolutely right for that. And uh, it, it, did you get a chance to ask him um, what, what was the deal breaker on the name Golden Knights and how serious of, of uh, you know, thought process went into any of the other names, Silver Knights, Desert Knights, Red Hawks, whatever it was that was going around before then or, or you know, with the amount of merch that was, was brought out within a day, including the merch that was on sale that night, the Golden moniker had to be there for quite some time. Have, have you had a chance to ask him yet how, how, how far in the past that decision was reached and if any of the other names really had serious consideration? Yeah, I think he considered uh, them. I think Golden Knights was kind of always his favorite. That's just a gut feeling. That's nothing that he has said. But, you know, he has publicly said before that, you know, he he went over the other names. And, and there was other names, too. I, I 
be honest with you, I I think he really liked the name Nighthawks for a while too. Um, and, and when he discussed that and brought that up, his face kind of lit up a little bit. And I agree with him because I, I really like that name too. But uh, for him, I think he really wanted to, to wrap his arms around his heritage, which he did. And at the same mm-hmm. time, it kind of killed two birds with one stone because it, 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 it gives a, um, you know, it gives off the effect that, you know, it, it represents Las Vegas, but then it also represents his past, which I think he's very, very proud of. So I think that that ultimately is where he went. He just, you know, every, when he brought up, when they brought up Desert Knights, I think his gut reaction was that just, it doesn't encompass what I want this name to say. And so I think that that's clearly why he went with Golden Knights. I, I think it was always Golden Knights. And then, you know, the other two were kind of uh, you know, way down the list. Well, I'm the, we, I won't break any news here, but I think uh, he's been on, on record quite a few times as saying what his uh, vision of the pregame on ice show is going to be. We're going to have the sword and the stone and we're going to have the knight. And he was saying that even, you know, way back when he was partial to the Black Knight's name. Um, and, he, you know, I don't know if he's going to buy a stable of, of mascot costumes and and go the whole the whole nine yards with his pregame vision. But, uh, you know, with what we saw at Frozen Fury and, and the video presentation that the arena is capable of and the, the concept that Mr. Foley has for that, I, I think we're in, in for a, well, I, can I say Vegas-esque sort of a atmosphere there pregame at the T? Yeah, you certainly can. I mean, we've given them a ton of suggestions because that, you know, in all honesty, interests me a little bit more than the ultimate name did. But, um the first time I met Bill, and I had a couple minutes to have lunch with him, the one thing that he said was, I already have opening night planned out. So he's yep. very, I think all this whole time, he's been kind of just kind of fine-tuning that, and uh, I think he knows exactly how he wants to go. And lucky for him that Excalibur is an MGM property, and maybe you can get a few horses over for the for opening night, but... Um, I, needless to say, no matter what comes of it, it's going to be Vegas and it's going to be spectacular. And that truly is going to be his moment. Yep. I'm looking forward to it as well. And we know, uh, we know that the next time where everyone was, everyone's been asking me, Jersey, 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 and that's not going to be unveiled. I believe he's, he's planning. And I heard this on your show with Brian blessing, the Vegas hockey hotline that, uh, he's planning on the unveiling when he introduces the, the squad from the expansion draft. Is that correct? Uh, I think there's a lot of different things that have been kind of thrown about. I mean, I've seen timetables as early as February, which I, I don't think I'm on board with that to the spring, um, to the spring. And then of course, what you, you had mentioned as well. Um, I'm not really sure. I think after we get through the first of the year, uh, maybe in, at the end of January, I think then the rumors that come out at that point will be a little bit more accurate. Um, you know, let's let's keep in mind we had numerous guesses as to when the team was on, going to be actually announced. So there would be right. no reason for me to predict that this would be smooth or accurate at this point either. But you know, you can guarantee it's probably going to be you know somewhere between March and definitely has to be June. So somewhere in there. <laughs> All right, Dana, I got to let you go, buddy. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll touch with you about next week's show. We've got a pretty good guest on, and uh, I want to 
I want to get caught up on on how you know if you now you can complete the Northern Arizona sweep uh, this weekend tonight. Um, that's going to go a long way towards probably seeding as it gets into closer to playoff time. So, good luck tonight, sir. Call a good game. I know you will. I will do my best, and I can tell you if they win tonight, there is no doubt who the number one seed is in the West, despite what whatever any poll any poll says. I gotta agree with you 100, percent and I'm wearing my Homer hat at the same time. So I'll talk to you next week, and we'll be in touch, sir. Thank you for coming on. Okay, guys. Not a problem. Have a good week. You too. All right, Chris. Uh, lot, lot to cover there. Lot to cover with Dana, but as usual, a wealth of information and and another great job from Dana. Um, and now, smooth as silk. I'd like to welcome Derek Helling into the show. Derek, good to see you, sir. Thanks for having me. Oh no, uh, this is uh, la- last week. Uh, we we were doing. We were doing the the live show for the first time in a little while, and and uh, Dana kind of alluded to it. He he messed up the time, and we ended up kind of fumbling around with it. But so far, Chris, uh, much better this week, huh? Smooth as silk. Smooth as silk. Anyway, we brought we brought Derek in. You can follow him on Twitter at Helling Sports. He. Uh, he writes for the last word on sports, and he's the managing editor of sports department at, at San P News. And we brought him in because he had an article he put out um, regarding the the Camano situation in Carolina and how that might tie into Quebec. Um, if you can, Derek, why don't you just break down for the people that aren't following that situation too closely, break down the the roots of the lawsuit that may have been holding up any any plans to sell the franchise and the recent settlement in the case. All right. Um, lawsuit started about a little bit over two years ago. Um, Peter Carmanos, who is the majority stakeholder of the Carolina Hurricanes, was sued by his three adult sons. Um, basically, what had happened was about a couple of years prior to that, he had taken out a loan against a trust that had been placed in all three of their names to partially pay some bills and keep the Carolina Hurricanes in the black, financially speaking. Um, And he was making payments on that for a while. And then he started coming up short on his payments after a couple of times where he missed an annual interest payment of about $4 million. His sons got together and they called in the whole loan. Um, obviously, if you're having trouble making $4 million in- interest payments, you're going to have trouble coming up with $107 million just offhand. So sure. it went. So they went ahead and filed suit um, against their father. Uh, that is going to still head to court just for a formal hearing. But uh, as I reported in the article, they've settled their dispute in in mediation. We don't know the amount of the settlement. As I wrote, that's pretty much become a private family matter at this point. But so that's pretty much resolved at this point, whether they, whatever terms the four of them agreed upon is between them. Um, but I guess we're back to some kind of normalcy and status quo in rally as far as the finances of the ownership goes. 
Now, you did mention in the article, too, and it's kind of an important point, that he previously in his efforts to sell the club, he had, uh, you know, he put, put the restriction that it's only going to be sold to someone who's, who's bound to keep the team in North Carolina. Um, with and, and I know he said that with the lease agreement that he has in place, it would be uh, stupid for a new management to actually move the team from front and, and get out from that agreement. Um, talk a little bit, too, in the article, you, you mentioned that he may be willing now just to wash his hands of the whole thing and waive that requirement and how that could tie into our one time sister city and expansion, Quebec. Yeah. Um, Gary Bettman said about a year ago, he was quoted saying that he knew that Carmenos was looking for a partner. What he was basically looking for at the time was kind of a silent partner, if you want to use that term. Someone who would buy a lot of his majority stake in the team, but yeah, let Carmenos remain in control of the franchise. Um, At the time, I wasn't sure how likely that scenario was, and thus far we've seen the rate of success that he's had at finding that um, there's few people who are going to number one, have the kind of resources that it's going to take to buy the majority stake in an NHL franchise. Number two, you got to have the actual interest and desire to do that. And thirdly, to meet Carmenos' conditions, you've got to willing, be willing to let him, even though he sold his stake, still pretty much run the show. Oh, the report from the radio station in Montreal basically said that he's kind of backtrack upon that requirement of letting him basically buying him out, but still letting him be very involved. And that would potentially open up the door to someone who is, who has no loyalties to rally or to to North Carolina or to the hurricanes franchise to potentially buy the majority stake and then go about making whatever changes that they would like. Right, right. Hey, Derek, Chris? Chris. Hey, Derek, it's Chris yeah. here. Um, so it is, I mean, it sounds like a pretty bleak picture in terms of the long term of uh, the Hurricanes mm-hmm. thing in Carolina. I mean, when you consider, you know, a lot of people feel they shouldn't be in rally, they should be in Durham their attendance issues. They don't have, Mm -hmm. even though they're rebuilding the team in terms of a hockey franchise, it seems like the right way in Ron Francis, but they don't have a superstar. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it, it seems like a bit of a bleak picture. Is there a little bit more hope than that, or is this a long shot that they stay there, in your opinion? Um, Forbes' latest valuation of of, of the Hurricanes has them as the least valuable franchise in the NHL. Uh, they put them at a value of $230 million. Wow. Um, Forbes also stated that their revenue for last season uh, was also bottom of the NHL um, at $99 million. And they actually had an operating loss of $15 million last season, according to Forbes. Um, they're, and also, according to their valuation, they're carrying a debt equal to about 54% of their value. So, um, which that's not, that's not good. I mean, mean, that's, that's not the worst in the NHL actually. Um, 
there's a there's one franchise that it's carrying debt equal to 81 percent of its value so um they're not in the worst shape as far as that goes but in the other columns um they're severely under underperforming the rest of the league and so that comes into exactly what you asked how much longer if things drastically improve is having this franchise in the situation feasible and what steps could be taken to improve the situation other than drastically um, improving the product on the ice, which obviously is going to help. But there's other mitigating factors in there that you could have a hundred, 110, excuse me, a hundred point team on the ice every season. Um, and, and the uh, extenuating circumstances around the franchise aren't going to change. Before I get to my next question, and just to emphasize the point you just made about the Forbes value, you know, a couple of years ago when the Islanders were sold to uh, Scott Malkin and John Ledecky, um, and, you know, the, the New York Islanders are not the value of the Rangers or the Maple Leafs, uh, far from it. They were sold for $460 mm. million. So if yeah. you're saying the Hurricanes are, are worth half of the Islanders who – you know, at best, it's a mid-market team, if you will, in the Northern New York area. That's mm-hmm. that's quite a state. That's quite a statement. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know how much a, a reporting or investigating you've done about Quebec. Uh, obviously, you know the size of uh, the population of you know the going back to the original mm-hmm. issues of uh, expansion. The size of Quebec City, yeah. even though everyone's a rabid hockey fan, the exchange mm-hmm. rate. Um, you know, mm-hmm. is the NHL are they going to be willing to, uh, even though it would be one would think a better situation than Carolina, but they, you know, they don't want to go out of the frying pan into the, into the fire kind of thing of course. either. Of course, and, and absolutely. And what what are and what are some of the other options? I mean, we all know that the NHL uh, desperately would love to be in Seattle, but that seems to be a long yeah. ways away in terms of a building and an ownership. So if Quebec, if they're worried about Quebec, what could be possibly some other options? Um, I really think that outside of outside of some of the situation completely turning around in Seattle, right now Quebec City probably is the next base case scenario. Um, as you mentioned, a big part of the reason why Quebec City lost the expansion bid to to Las Vegas uh, was. Uh, the weakness of the Canadian dollar in comparison to the U.S. dollar, um, concerns over market size, and um, there's also a huge difference in the tax law between Nevada and Quebec, and that Absolutely. played a large factor as well. Um, uh, the, the the corporation that owns um, the Videotron Center, the new arena in excuse me, not owns. Um, they they own the managing partner the naming right. Yeah, they're, right. Well, they own the the management rights and the, and they have the naming rights, uh, which is uh, the name of the corporation is Quebecer Incorporated. Um, the the stadium itself was completely publicly funded halfway between the city and and the province. Um, so Quebecer uh, purchased the rights for the management and the name, and they named it after the cable company that they own there, Videotron. Right. Um, they're putting reports that I saw put the money for that 
deal between 33 and 63 million, and that's Canadian, of course, um, up front, and then an annual payment between 3.15 and 5 million in annual rent. Um, so they're they're invested. That's that goes without saying. Um, they've got a couple when they were making the expansion bid. They invited a couple of potential partners that we know of. Um, there's the Depository and Placement of Quebec, which is one of the 10 largest real estate managers in the world. Um, they're also a leading private equity investor in Canada to invest along with them in expansion franchise. Um, that group has some history of being invested in the NHL. It's the same company that financed George Gillette's purchase of the Canadians in 2001. Okay. Um, so they also invited um, the Federation of Labor Solidarity Fund. Um, and once again, they've got some history. They currently own a minority stake in the Canadians, and um, they were a minority shareholder in the Nordiques from 88 until the team left for Colorado. Now, there's some politics that could potentially get in the way there of them uniting again. Uh, the controlling shareholder of Quebec, or uh, his name is Pierre Carl, Carl uh, Pelado. He's the, he's the, uh, the face of the um, opposition party to the labor, kind of like to the political party, which is, which is the opposite side of the political spectrum in Quebec, the labor party. So kind of, so them, the Labor Party putting money from the Solidarity Fund um, behind a Pelado venture might be a little unlikely. Um, outside <laughs> okay. of that, there's room. There's room. Outside of that, there's rumors that Anheuser Busch might have been interested in minority stake, and when well, there was the possibility of an expansion franchise, they Anheuser Busch owns the Bot Brewing Company, which signed a deal before the Videotron Center was completed to be the official beer supplier there. So it was just a matter of, hey, we're already partners. Would you possibly want to expand your stake in here? But that was neither confirmed nor denied by Anheuser-Busch. And, well, and since Quebec City didn't get the expansion franchise, we'll never know. Now, I know, I know Chris has one more to get to, but I wanted to jump in on that point real quick. Sure. Being being in Kansas City, and you guys do have the Pepsi Center, and were rumored to be attempting to put an expansion bid together in the latest round of expansion, which would, you know, play in the West, balance the conferences, is a nice symmetry to yeah. all of the Kansas City bid. But that didn't come to fruition. If uh, is there any sort of groundswell in Kansas City, and and maybe behind the scenes with Anheuser Busch that you know of? that would be interested in bringing a relocated Hurricanes team to Kansas City? I know that there, there is hockey interest in this market. Um, there's, an a, there's an AHL team, um, which is uh, located in Independence, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas City, that, does, that, that, that draws well, um, that's quite successful on that level of hockey. And right. um, the Blues usually do a preseason game here at the Sprint Center every season. Um, and that usually sells really well. Um, of course, in any market, 
the, the newness of something is going to be a big thing, especially in a market that's already got in an MLB and an MLS and an NHL franchise. Um, so right now, I think the old, that one of the big hurdles that it would have to clear is just finding the investors to put together a package that would be attractive enough for the NHL. And as far I as think that maybe, front, I'm not not hearing anything. Well, I think maybe, and I'll, I'll, I'll I got to throw it back to Chris, but I think maybe if the $500 million expansion fee was a little bit much for the investors that we were hearing about back last, what, almost two August ago now, maybe? I don't even know. It's been a while. But uh, maybe the 230 to $250 million price tag might might uh, maybe seem a little bit more reasonable as a starting point and, yeah. and getting an existing franchise there in Kansas City. So something to keep your eye on there. Let me, let me, let me give it over to Chris yeah. here and, and let him throw his last one at you. Yeah, I got one more for you, Derek. Uh, would you be surprised, because obviously these, this is a big decision, you know, big movement uh, in terms of moving a franchise, but would, would, would you be surprised if Carolina would be in Quebec for the, uh, would wind up going, becoming Quebec Nordique as soon as next season? Next season, I would be surprised. Um, okay. If you were to ask me within a five-year time frame, then I would say no, that wouldn't shock me at all. Um, but you're looking at if you, if you just go off the Forbes valuation plus the debt, you you get to about 355 million US. That just based off those figures, it would cost to just purchase the team. Okay. Then you've got the cost of rebranding and relocating the franchise. Uh, your forum mentioned um, if you're going to revive the Nordiques name and logo, the question then becomes who owns the rights to those? Does the league have them? Is it, does a private party still own them? Then that could be an additional cost that you would have to pay to acquire those rights. Um, that's all costs that, that Quebec or and, and their rumored partners were prepared to take on to some degree with the expansion franchise. Um, but it and it also may take more money to get Carmenos out of the picture unless he gets desperate. And so then it may come down to a game of who's going to blink first. Um, well, naturally, there's some risk if Quebec or doesn't act because right now they're paying the annual rent and they've dumped somewhere between 33 and 63 million Canadian dollars into an arena that's currently hosting junior hockey. And obviously that's not the anchor tenant that they want. With, at that right, level right. of investment, and and for the public, just in Quebec as well, whose tax bonds are currently paying for the in U.S. dollars, it's about five hundred million dollar construction project. So there's a little bit of pressure there on a lot of parties to right. get which to usually get leads to a team. deal get, which usually leads to a deal getting done. Right when two parties have pressure on them, yeah, it's more likely yeah. for a. a, a result uh, hit a quicker conclusion um yes wow that's uh, that's very enlightening uh, mark i'm going to pass it back to you okay well wh one other thing you're you're in missouri so you just went through the uh the rams um leaving st louis mm -hmm. and head heading back to los angeles and i grew up a rams fan in los angeles so i guess what would you say to the because there is a there is a number of diehard hockey fans in 
North Carolina. Um, just probably not enough that can get to the arena or, you know, financially is or whatever, not able to support the franchise in order to make it a viable uh, uh, endeavor down there. What would you say to that community uh, having gone through the, the Rams relocation? And if there's any anything they can do as a community that maybe we learned from St. Louis not doing that they that they should start doing right now if they plan on keeping their team well from from my own reading and reporting on the the rams deal um in that regard a lot of the problem wasn't necessarily with um, the the attendance and the fan reception it was just a lot of the, at least the out that gave the Rams the freedom to leave when they did was that facilities upgrades weren't made when they were originally scheduled to be. Um, that's not the case with the Hurricanes. And so my, my I guess my advice to Hurricanes fans <laughs> would be, would Go be to the that, that, that I mean, the NHL is a business first and foremost. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Every NHL franchise is a professional sport entertainment corporation. They're not putting on hockey games because it's fun or because they're nice. They, they want to make money. And that will always be the foremost motivation in there. So the only way to make sure that you are going to keep your NHL franchise is by opening up your wallet. And outside of yeah. that, there's really not much else you can do. Well, sir, I th I thank you for your time and, and helping break down that well, uh, for all the number all the number of different scenarios that we threw at you tonight. Where can people find your stuff? And uh, if you have anything else you want to get out there, uh, go ahead and give it a free plug. Thank you. Um, if, as you mentioned, you can find my writing on uh, a number of last word on sports sites. I pretty much cover the business and legal and cultural sports, um, regardless of the actual of the specific sport. Um, you can also find my writing on sportsandpolitics.org. And coming very soon, I'm going to be writing for Casey Kingdom and keeping that kind of local here in Kansas City on fan sided. Outside of that, as you said, you can find me on Twitter at Helling Sports and Facebook. Just look for uh, Derek Helling. Um, as far as what I've got coming down the pike pretty soon, I'm going to start doing research pretty soon on a piece about the, the NHL um, recently made a proposal to the Players Union of we'll let you play in the Olympics if you agree to extend the – collective bargaining agreement in another three years and the union said no. So there's a lot of hmm. potential implications there on a lot of fronts. And so that's what I'm diving into next. I'll be interested to look at that. About, Go ahead. Chris. And also two people should look out. Uh, Derek's written some really good articles about the concussion issue uh, uh, and the league's mentality uh, about it as well. Uh, really good writing. And uh, um, yeah, it, it kind of shakes my head uh, at the stance they've taken. No, I agree. Well, all right, sir. We got to let you go. We're almost out of time for this episode of the show, but we will have you back on again. Love to talk to you about it, you. if and when the uh, the Players Association. I, I, I was looking at a few different things today that it looks like there will be uh, a, 
a better chance anyway to come to an agreement and not go through a strike or lockout again, um, which would well, I, it would be a shame to do that right now because the NHL is riding yes, such a high in popularity, and it's it not is. the time to kill the golden goose. So uh, when we get closer to that point in, in uh, breaking down the all the financials that are going to have to be in that new CABA, we'd love to have you back on to talk about that. I'd love to be back on. All right, sir. We're going to let you go. Thank you again. Thank you. All right, Chris. That was uh, we got a little bit of time left, sir. So you've I've been watching. You've dropped quite a few articles in the last uh, in the last week, sir, on both last word on hockey and eyes on aisles. So uh, what was your last couple articles, and and what are you doing next? Yeah, sure. But real quick before, because we were trying to get all the guests on. Uh, everyone can find Matt Pryor at thehockeywriters.com. He writes about the Florida Panthers as well as the Dallas Stars, and you can follow him on Twitter at Big Tex1926. 1926. And follow, yeah, and you can follow Dana Lean at Dana Lean at Dana Lean NHL. Um, and in terms of my stuff, the last week I've had uh, two brand new two articles up. Uh, one on the upcoming what to expect for the NHL tra- trading deadline at uh, lastwordonhockey.com, as well as uh, the obstacles ahead for the Vegas franchise in terms of uh, how thin free agency is looking, as well as potentially how this draft is looking, especially compared to the last couple of drafts. I will have a new article on uh, expansion. Uh, which will be uh, good for everyone, not just from Vegas fans, but throughout, uh, uh, hitting the at last word on hockey.com uh, um, early next week, Monday, I think Monday, Tuesday, and on Eyes on Isles for you Islander fans, but also attention uh, for all, all you hockey junkies looking for rumors or uh, p- proposed trades, and definitely Maple Leaf fans, you should check this out as well. I have a new article up there that came out yesterday called Making a Pitch for Van Reemsdyke uh, for the Islanders. So uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's been uh, been a busy bee writing the articles. But I tell you, we had three uh, three, great, three great guests on tonight, Derek being a first-time guest. And, uh, boy, it, it sounds it sounds bleak in Carolina. I mean, I, I, I knew it was bleak, but it sounds even bleaker. Yeah, getting the, the whole financial picture down from someone who's who is involved in the business aspect of the sport um kind of and and i've we're both on record we'd love to see the quebec nordiques um 2.0 in place that's not a secret i've, I've always said <clears throat> excuse me that i wanted to go in with quebec city as a, a way to set the barometer for the successes and failures of the las vegas franchise um but you know the the financial aspect in quebec that that maybe pro- prohibited them from being included with Las Vegas this time may still be in place um, as far as purchasing and relocating the Hurricanes goes. Yeah, but you know what? I think they can overcome. I mean, like, for instance, uh, I'm not comparing them to the Canadians, or, and I get it. The Jets and the Canucks, they don't do as well as the Canadians, believe nowhere near. But, you know, there are, you know, these teams in Canada do do, do well. Um, he met, uh, Derek mentioned about the junior club playing currently in the Quebec's uh, new arena. You know, they, they draw, on average, almost 15,000 people a game. 
the junior team does. I mean, that's how the diehard they, they, yeah, they, the ramparts, right. They, they want hockey. So, um, you know, especially if they had some well-heeled investors and that he mentioned, uh, some of those private equity firms who have been there, done that, Anheuser-Busch, uh, you get people like that behind it. Yeah, the exchange rate's a big pain in the ass because, like you always say, Mark, you know, your revenues are, are coming in, you know, at the lower rate and your expenses are going out at the higher rate. But I still think it could – it still think it could be – it can work uh, very successfully. Uh, the question is, how long does it take to move all these pieces on the board? You know, one thing is you got a brand-new spanking state-of-the-art arena at the, ready today. So that's a gigantic hurdle. Yeah, for sure. Um, oh, I had something right there, and it just slipped my mind. Um, well, one thing one thing about Kansas City is that would put the 16th team in the West, and they also have a uh, stadium that was built with hockey in mind that does not have an anchor tenant as well, and the the they don't have the financial hurdle of of the set, you know paying out American dollars and taking in Canadian dollars yep. with the exchange rate being what it is. So, and they would be paying less. And I know there were investors that were balking at the $500 million franchise there. So it'd be interesting to see if someone from Kansas city can step up maybe with a $300 million, $330 million bid, whatever it is with that debt and how much can be forgiven and negotiated out and, possibly move that team to Kansas City. I think that's an angle to keep an eye on that maybe not a lot of people are looking at. Um, anything else you want to get to this week, buddy? No, that's it. We're, we're still working on next week's show, so we'll tweet that out um, You know, early, middle of next week uh, well, in terms of uh, you know the time and, and as well as uh, <laughs> the guests, but, but, but we're, we're working on something really good. Uh, bring back an old great guest so uh we'll keep we'll, people keep an eye on uh for that and um yeah i guess i guess that's it it's been a lot going on in the league this uh this last week it's been a busy week saturday's gonna be tough for me i'll have to get with you off the air uh real okay. quick here um, i'll get with you tomorrow about that um i got all kind of stuff happening on saturday next week maybe maybe sunday or right. friday evening might might yeah. be better off we'll work we'll work it out though Look for we'll it on Twitter. We'll, we'll tweet it out. it out. We'll tweet it out on uh, the Vegas Hockey Podcast or at Vegas Hockey Pod on Twitter. I, and, and I have one last. Fo- I'm sorry. Okay. Go ahead. I know I have one last one last question for you. So it sounded like from your questions to Matt that you are dead set against the Gallant firing. Think think you got a very huh. rough deal. Huh. <laughs> what makes you think that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do think that. I don't I don't I don't see how you do that to the jack. I mean, obviously there's some so there's, there's something going on in ownership there and and I don't know if it was person I have I don't have any inside information on the situation, but you have uh a team that does something that it hasn't done in 20 years. You're getting people back into the arena. The fans are starting to turn out. You've received an $87 million parachute from the city of Sunrise, Florida that keeps your team there for seven years. So you have a stable financial base going forward. You've got great young talent that uh, is locked up long-term. The core of the franchise is still there. They're going to be there. 
there's players there that the community can get behind and you fire the GM and you fire the coach who was a Jack Adams finalist and set team records in points and wins. I just don't know what the reason for that is. And maybe, maybe, uh, you know, I obviously, like I said, I don't know what's going on. Is it a personality conflict? Did Mr. Rowe come in and take everybody by storm? Did he go around the back door and pump up his analytics to the, to the other members of management who are really big fans of the analytics and put a wedge in there between, uh, Mr. Gallant and, and ownership or, or, you know, there's certainly speculation that can be made along those lines as he can went from the NHL coach to the general manager and head coach in a little over a year with the franchise, I believe. Um, but no, I think he did get a raw deal. And if he's still out there, um, give Las Vegas a call because uh, he's used to working with young oh, talent. Absolutely. He's, he's, he's proven that he can take that and, and, play a winning formula of hockey. And uh, if he wanted to come and be our first coach in Las Vegas, I certainly would not have a problem with that at all. Yeah, no, I'm sure he'll be on George McSee's interview list. Uh, uh, one would think. One would think. That would, that would, that would, and he was he's very well thought of throughout the league. And, sure. uh, you know, just watching the NHL Network this week, every analyst just really gave the Panthers a hard time. So, um yeah, I, 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 it is a bit, it is a bit heads. But you know, uh, last point is, um, uh, you know, Mick, um, Gallant was, uh, why is his name um, escaping me? Um, the former GM. Uh, why, why am I? Talon, uh, Dave Talon. That's it. Thank you, Dale Talon. Uh, um, was his guy. So once Dale Talon yeah. was kind of pushed. Uh, to the side, if you will, and he was no longer their guy. I mean, I think that it sounds like you're talking to Matt uh, off air, too. Uh, these are not new problems that kind of been there, you know, since the transition uh, of the off season. So uh, I, I think the writing was kind of on the wall, just kind of waiting for uh, the right time, or he better have gotten off to a tremendous start, which is really, really unfair. But uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted before. So, yes, you could find our show at the Vegas Hockey Pod. You could also find the show on Block Talk Radio, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, as well as the HockeyWriters.com uh, uh, podcast network. Just go to the HockeyWriters.com, click on the podcast tab, and we're one of many great shows on there. So, uh, uh, Which I wanted, I wanted to ask you, too. Yeah, I wanted to ask you. You were on one of the – or the Hockey Writers podcast last week. I didn't get a chance to listen to that. How'd that go? It went really well. It was uh, we we told it was right? Uh, it was the day after the announcement. Uh, we talked about uh, how excited Vegas is. Uh, how much I I I, I kind of put you know there was the usual questions of you know you concerned about Vegas? Do you, and I said, look, this is going to be a home run. Size of the market, first time franchise sports franchise in the area. Uh, the season tickets that are already sold. People fired up. Um, talked about George McPhee a, a, a bit as well, and how how much I think that's a strong hire. So uh, yeah, so that 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 was uh, that was a uh, that was a blast for sure. So uh, like I said, and we have some great. And if you missed some of our past uh, few shows, shame on you. But you can catch up. Uh, we had the great Zach Devine on last week. Uh, uh, the week before we had, oh boy, 
We I, we I know we had Russ Cohen recently of Sportsology talking about Nick Guido and the draft. Little Hurricane. Yes, we little had Hurricanes yes, right. hockey. We had, uh, yeah, we had Nick Guido on the Canadians, right? And we had Zach was on the Sharks as well as the draft as well. We had uh, the Playing My Team folks, uh, Phil Ivor on the Winnipeg Jets. So go back, take a look at our recent shows, and uh, there's got there's something for everyone. But I would say listen to them all. Absolutely, absolutely. So for Chris, I'm Mark. We're going to nail down next week's time, and we'll let everybody know on Twitter and the VegasHockeyPodcast.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. Until next week, we're gone.